Matthew, the 20th chapter. We are continuing our study in the book of Matthew. We're going through the book of Matthew one verse at a time. All right. Uh, a little bit of a correction. I, I need to correct uh, a couple of chapters back. Uh, we started, I think, chapter 18 or something where it said Jesus, multitudes were following Jesus. And I said, well, that's because he hasn't got to the point where people started turning away from him yet. But I went back and looked. Matthew never records that ever happening. Neither does Mark, neither does Luke. John is the only one who records that. Uh, and it was just one time that he uh, made mention of it. Uh, and it was actually early on. And so apparently what would happen, Jesus would preach, heal people. Everybody loved that. Feed people. Everybody loved that. Everybody's having, and then he'd really get it in their faces about their lives. They didn't like that. And uh, they would leave. But then when he'd go on to the next place, more multitudes would come back to him. So anyway, so I wanted to straighten that out. Um, now, at verse 17, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. Now, we are at the end now. Uh, we're not actually at the end of Matthew because there's a lot of stuff that's about to be told here. And, and whenever we do Holy Week, you know, you know, around Easter, we don't read all this stuff because it would take so long. We just talk about Palm Sunday and then, you know, Easter Sunday, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Uh, a lot of Jesus' teachings are, are focused on during this period when he's... Um, uh, at this week, and, and we'll get into this. The only other time where we see a lot of teaching in one place was the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of teaching there, just in that one place. Otherwise, he's moving around. We're now actually in the third year of Jesus' ministry. He ministered for three years, and then he was crucified. Well, now he's on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. And so this is, this is the end. Again, we got a lot to look at over the next uh, uh, several weeks about this before we get there, but um, so he's on his way up to Jerusalem, and on the way, he took his 12 disciples, he, he brought them off to the side to talk to him. This is what he says to them. Listen to what he says. We are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man, talking about himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Amazingly, when they get there and this happens, they're shocked. Didn't see this coming. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> now this is the third time that Matthew records that he explicitly told him what was going to happen. For all we know, he did it many times. We don't know. But for sure, at least these three times, you can't get more clear than this. They didn't get it. Now, in all fairness to them, and I've been saying this all along, Jesus said a lot of things they did not understand. And they got to the point where they quit asking questions. Because he'd get really irritated with them. So he finally, they just stopped. You know, I don't get it, you know. So for all they knew, he was talking about a parable or something. They didn't get it. After Jesus raises from the dead, he reminds them, don't you remember? I told you this was going to happen. And that's when they went, oh yeah. All right. But for some reason, they don't get it. But he knew it, what was coming. It was no shock to him. All right. So now they're on their way to Jerusalem. Now, this interesting little story pops up. Then the mother of Zebedee's son, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Uh, now this is uh, John, the one who writes the Gospel of John, the Epistles of John, and eventually writes the book of Revelations, the last book in the Bible, talking about the end of the world. That's this John. So him and his brother James come to Jesus. They want to ask a favor, but they don't have the guts to ask him, so they brought mom So mom brings them and kneeling down asks Jesus a favor. Verse 21, he said, what is it that you want? And she said, well, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit 
at your right and the other on the left in your kingdom. Now they're going up to Jerusalem. Uh, I think a lot of them really expected when he got there he was going to establish himself as king, as the conquering Messiah, which he will do on his second return. They didn't quite understand all that. They weren't expecting the suffering Messiah first. Uh, I don't think they were thinking about his kingdom afterwards, but she might have, but it doesn't really matter. The bottom line is, can you make sure that my boys get the best seats in the house? Right up there with you. And Jesus looked at the boys and said, you guys don't know what you are asking. And he asked them this question. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? Now the cup he's talking about is the cup of suffering. They don't know what he's talking about. He just says, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they went, sure. <laughs> we can do it. And Jesus says this to them. He says, well, you will indeed drink. <laughs> and in fact, they did. James was the first one to be murdered, martyred, uh, as, as, as one of the apostles. And so James actually didn't live much longer past this event, quite frankly. So when he said, sure, I can. Well, he sure did, pretty quick. John... Uh, I'm sure he suffered much for his faith. Church history says that the Romans arrested him and tried to boil him in oil, but he wouldn't die. Like, whoa. So, uh, now, did it hurt? My guess is, yeah. But uh, miraculously, he didn't die. So they shipped him off to the Isle of Patmos. He's going to die on this island alone. That's where he wrote the book of Revelation. Anyway, so... When he said, you will indeed drink from my cup, they were going to drink big time. But to sit at my right and my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Now when the other ten, remember there's twelve apostles, two of these guys get mom to go rig up a special gig for them. When the other ten heard about it, they were really ticked off. And they started arguing with them. Now, the reason they were mad is because they wanted those places, okay? They wanted to be the top dogs in the place. Remember, these are the guys who would argue about who was the greatest. <laughs> they did not suffer from self-esteem issues. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. I'm the best than y'all, y'all. You know, I mean, they would actually get into debating who was the most significant, greatest person among them. Clearly, these boys thought very highly of themselves. Okay? And, of course, they're ticked. You bunch of girly men, you get your mom. You got to get my mom. So, I mean, they're yelling at them. They're fighting because they're trying to rig this special uh, status. And then Jesus calls them together. So, okay, guys, calm down. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, people out in the real world, the regular world without God, they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. We all experience this. Everybody has to answer to somebody. Most of you work for some organization. And if you don't have the boss himself to deal with, you have some supervisor above you that you have to deal with. Now, hopefully, you have a nice one. Some of you work quite frankly for idiots and it is what it is and you got to do the job and you got to deal with these people and then you think well I'm going to get my own business I don't have to work for anybody well even then you always wind up working for somebody because even when you have your own job now you got to work for the crazy people that you're trying to get money out of and you got to do stuff for them you're always and everybody answers to somebody that is life 
And typically in the world, people like to flex their muscle. I'm in charge, I'm the boss, I'm the supervisor, do what I say. We all know that's life. That's the way the world works. But he says, not so in the kingdom of God. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, and they all wanted to be great. Again, no lack of self-esteem with these boys. They wanted to be great. If you want to be great, then you have to become your servant. Everybody say servant. servant. All right, now just, uh, and then he says, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Everybody say slave. Slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, talking about himself, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. This is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God of the universe, up in heaven. I think it's pretty nice up there. I don't think they have economic downturns. I don't think there's, people don't worry about what to do, about what this is. I mean, things are good. And he leaves all of that to come down here. His first, first breath inhaled is in a barn. Ode de caca everywhere. That had to be such a shock. <laughs> Leaving heaven and then coming down. <laughs> All right. Then he grows up among men. And instead of flexing his God muscle and expecting everyone, he humbles himself and he serves everybody else. And he does an attitude of service. Now, here's the thing about a servant. People don't understand this. A servant does what they don't necessarily want to do. That's why they're servants. You serve somebody. Reminds me of Bob Dylan. You're gonna have to serve somebody. You know, you gotta serve somebody whether you like it or not. Well, as a servant, a servant doesn't really get, in a true sense, a say in what they get to do or not. You have to remember, Jesus really did not want to go to the cross. You say, really? Yeah, remember the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying and he asks his father, Father, if there's any way I can get out of this, please, I don't want to. He didn't want to do it, but he did it. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Okay, that's our example. A servant isn't just going around do what a servant enjoys. I don't think we have truly taught what it means to be a servant. And while I was studying this, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, Gunger, you know, you really stink at this. Because you're not doing a good job teaching about being a servant. And that's why you guys have some of the problems that you have. Now, there's some things our church has done very, very well. And despite what we were told could be done, we pressed ahead anyway. One of the things is that we really stressed this is going to be a church where we were not going to fight about doctrinal issues. Some of you believe in speaking in tongues. Some of you don't believe in speaking in tongues. Some of you think, you know, eternal security. Some of you don't. Some of you think, you know, different things about the end of the world. I mean, all these different things. We just don't fight about those things. Okay? We focus on the main things. What we all stood and said, we believe in God the Father, Son, died on the cross for me, the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the dead. All these things, eternal life. That's what we believe. That's not negotiable. Yes. That, you know... That's not up for debate. Oh, the other stuff is up for debate. Okay, how you get baptized and when you do this and that and everybody's got their opinion. And usually churches are small groups of people that all think exactly the same about all these little issues. And I don't think God is glorified in that. I don't think God is glorified when you get a bunch of people who think exactly the same together. 
Well, what credit is that? You can go to any bar and find that. Right? You got different bars. You got the hippie bar. You got this bar. You got that bar. You got all all They're done to think the same, same economic world that they come from. Churches aren't supposed to be like that. A lot of churches are like bars. Everybody just, they all think the same. You got the rich church. And you got the poor church. And you got the black church. And you got this church. And you got that church. Where's the credit in that? You know, you got churches that everybody votes Democrat. You got churches that all vote Republican. Okay? We've never made an issue of those things. You know, some of you vote Republican. Some of you vote Democrat. Some of you are clueless and you don't know what to do. <laughs> if it weren't for all the ads, you wouldn't know there was an election even coming. All right? And some of you, you base your opinions on those ads. If you base your opinion on a political ad, you are a nitwit. All right? But there's a lot of people. A lot of people, God bless your heart, you are dumb as a brick when it comes to politics. And that's okay. I don't care. You should get a life, but it's your life. All right? So we just make an issue of that. We've never built the church on that stuff. We got people who vote far to the left. We got people who vote far to the right. We got people who don't know what they're doing. We don't care. Some of you come to church, you are dressed to kill. Some of you come to church, you look like you just avoided being killed. You look terrible. I don't care. It's not an issue to us. It's not all one color, one economic group. It's one, it's nothing. Not everybody here thinks and acts the same. We have made this a high priority. People told us it could not be done. I'm telling you, it's been done. Hallelujah. But where I have failed is I have not really taught, and we as a church have not, we're going to change this, have not really taught what it means to be a servant. A servant does what a servant is told to do, not just what they love to do. Now we're going to jump over to Luke, the 17th chapter, because Jesus in Luke says something that's not recorded along here. Pretty much Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are pretty much the same, but they throw in a few extra things. Well, in Luke, we read this little account that Matthew doesn't talk about. Jesus says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. So he's out there, he's a plower. He plows or he's in charge of the sheep. Bah, that's his gig. Well, will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, oh, come along now. You've had a good job. You did a great job. Sit down, have a nice meal. I really appreciate what you did. Blah, 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 blah. No. He said, won't he rather say, okay, make my supper. So this guy's got to come, he's got to change jobs. He was out there with sheep all day long. Now he comes, now he's got to turn into a cook. And then after he's a cook, then he's got to turn into a waiter. Because now he gets yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. This, he says, is what you do to a servant. After that, you may eat and drink. And then Jesus asks this question. Will, the, will he now thank the servant because what he did, what he was told to do? The answer is no. He didn't even get thanked. At least we'll thank you. But they won't even thank you. This is what you're supposed to be like. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Because Jesus says this. So you also. Everybody say, me also. Me also. All y'all. Even wherever it is, Steve's fine. All y'all. Appleton too. This is the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be like this. You also, when you've done everything you were told to do, which is hard because we're Americans. Nobody tells us to do nothing. No, I, don't, I don't do nothing. It's not my job. Not my stupid job. I don't ever do it. I just do my job. But that irritates the snot out of me. Anybody who works for me will find their employment quickly terminated 
If I ask them to do something, they say, well, it's not my job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you can go get another job. And I know some of you do that at your job. I don't care what you do, what you want to do. I tell you what a Christian ought to do on the job is when someone comes to ask you something that's not your job, you ought to just do it anyway. Someone say amen. amen. Well, I'm not going to do that. Oh, okay. It's your life. But I think it's one of the most positive things you can do. Just do what someone asks you to do. Be kind. Be kind. Because some of you belong to unions and they'll have a fit if you do something you're not supposed to do. But don't get me started on that. All right. So anyway. But in the kingdom of God, a servant just does what he's told to do. And he says, so you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, you should say. This is what you say. After you've done everything the pastor's asked you to do. After you've done everything the church has asked you to do. After you've done everything everybody has asked you to do. This is what you say. I am a great man of God and I'm sure a blessing in the kingdom and I'm sure people really appreciate me. Oh wait, that's a different translation. Oh, here's what Jesus taught. You should say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. We've only done our duty. Here's the thing about serving. And, and we've, we've done this. <laughs> you know, a few things. I know uh, Pastor Latham, we, we get people coming to the church and then we have them take tests, you know, to find their spiritual gifts and what's in their heart to do and all that stuff. And we try and place them somewhere where they're really passionate about. I, I, think, I think we're doing not the right thing or at least we're not teaching them the right thing. Servanthood isn't about doing what you're doing. If anything, pastor, we ought to find out what they really love to do, what they're really good at, and then make them do something else. <laughs> Somebody say amen. amen. It's not about you doing what you want to do and you love. And then here's what the problem. Then we get people who get in different areas of ministry and they get so in love with that area of ministry and they just love it. I just love it. <laughs> that it becomes more important than the church. And you know how you can tell? Because whenever you change that area of ministry, they get mad and they leave. And we have had this repetitive psycho cycle for the last six years. And I've had it up to here with it. But as I'm getting frustrated about it, it's like the Lord said, this is your fault, Gunger. You have not taught what it means to be a servant. A servant is about you getting to do what you want to do. But pastor, I love to do it. Okay. It shouldn't matter. Not if you're a true servant. A true servant is doing what you're asked to do, whether you love doing it or not. And some of you that don't really volunteer, you're not off the hook. You know, you guys come to church, and you, you know why you come to this church? Because there's something about it that you like. You like the singer. I like the singer. He's a good singer. And if we change the singer, you go, I don't like this church anymore. And you leave. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You like the building that you're in, whatever you're at, or, but it doesn't really matter. It all becomes about external things. It's about what I can get, what I can, and here's the problem. When you get caught up into that, then church becomes about who can put on the best show and who can have the best music and the best singers and the best building. And well, you already got the best looking preacher, so that's done. But, <laughs> but it all becomes about that stupid stuff. And as soon as that changes and some of you sitting there smiling right now are going to get so mad and you are going to walk out the store and you will never come back again. Because you don't get it. Church isn't about you. Anybody who comes to church, yeah, I come to God, I just love to be blessed. I, I'm here to be ministered to. and I, I come here to be fed. I just, I just hear. If you think and talk that way, shame on you. 
At a minimum, think that way. Just don't talk that way because that's really embarrassing. Because then everybody knows what an idiot you are. Don't talk like that. I'm here. I don't want to get blessed. Now I just... See, you love the church, but you don't love the church. You just love what you can get out of it. You love the experience. And look, we'll give you the best experience we can, but at some point, it's got to be about more than that. If we got rid of the whole stupid band and next week we just have an organ grinder with a dancing monkey. You know, you know I don't really like that organ grinder so much, but you know, praise God, this isn't about me. And I promise you, a big chunk of you would not tolerate it. As soon as we put an organ grinder and a dancing monkey in here, you're out of here. And you know it. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. You know, okay, okay. So you're a squirrel. Let's get past squirrelness. Let's get truly committed to the kingdom of God. Let's truly learn what it means to be a servant. I'm here to bless somebody else more than I'm getting blessed. That's what true service is about. I am down there. And look, some ministries in the church are quite exciting. Being on the stage is one of them. You know, woo you know, and we don't let you on the stage. Now you're mad and you're leaving? Well, I have a passion for that. Look, I, it's not about that. When you talk in those terms, you don't understand servants. A servant isn't about that. You know, some areas of the church, they don't talk so much. You know, the, the diaper changers, nobody talks that way down there. Nobody really has that in their heart as a ministry. I really feel called to change poopy diapers. That's... Pastor, that's really in my heart. I just really feel it. I just love poopy diapers. You know? You know? And by the way, when you pick up your kids, all y'all, listen to me right now. When you pick up your kids, thank the people down, that are down there. Thank you for watching them. Thank you for giving me 90 minutes of peace. <laughs> Be grateful, okay? But even if they never thank you, a true servant still serves. Because Jesus said you don't even thank a servant. Oh my goodness. See, at least we'll thank you. But we need to change. And we need to make this a priority as much as we've talked about the other things that we do so well. We need to create an, uh, uh, an environment, a culture in Celebration Church where this is about serving. Because we're about to read a bunch of parables now that Jesus is going to teach when he gets to Jerusalem. A lot of times he talks about servants. The servant did this and the servant did that. You have to understand what a servant, we are servants. Servants mean I serve. I don't get just to do what I want to do the way I want to do it. And if I can't teach this Bible study, I'm leaving. Or if I can't lead this prayer meeting, I'm leaving. Or if you don't let me sing, I'm leaving. Or if I can't do the youth department, I'm leaving. That has got to stop. We need, yes, it has to stop. So pastor, I love those things. Well, great. We all love all kinds of things, but this isn't about you. This isn't about you doing what you love to do. I think that we have played into narcissism. I do. It's our fault. It's my fault. Trying to find things that you love and where you can look at ministries that you're good at, stuff that you're good at, looking for opportunities to serve. By the way, this won't help Appleton or Stevens Point, but in this campus, we need people to help out more with the cameras and stuff we need some more people to volunteer cameras and running computers and stuff and pushing buttons and making all <laughs> we need your help <laughs> all that stuff all right especially if you're a teenager good grief what do you want to sit next to mom and listen to me blather you want to go by there and push cool buttons you know talk to pastor Lathan. go push the cool buttons it's fun it's neat there's all kinds of neat stuff back there 
Your parents say, well, I want them to hear the sermon. They hear it. They're staring at me the whole time. Pushing the buttons, okay? So they still hear it. They experience it. Okay, there's all kinds of cool stuff. Cameras and stuff. I mean, okay, I'm done for the rest of you. But I mean, look for opportunities to serve. So, well, I don't know if I really have a heart for that. Who cares? Who cares? They're so narcissistic. We make it sound spiritual. When we say, well, I just want to do what's in my heart to do. And I have a heart for God in this area. And I have a heart. All we're really saying is, I, I, me, 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 me. I'm a narcissistic, self-centered person. But we sound so much spiritual when we say it the other way. A servant doesn't get to vote on taking care of the sheep. One amen. Thank you. I don't, I don't know about the other campuses. I got one I met over here. Hopefully I got some over there. You don't got to say in the sheep. You do what the servant, what you're told. That's what the servant does. We're supposed to be servants of Christ. And being a servant of Christ is not the key to the realization of the greatest joys of your soul. When John was being boiled in oil, that wasn't high on his priority list. Okay? There's all kinds of stuff that we do as people of faith. We do if we understand we are servants. We give. Why would you give money to the church? Because I want to serve. I want to bless somebody. I'm a businessman. I don't have much time. I got my business. But what I can do is I can invest some significant finances into the kingdom of God. Well, that's your ministry. But nobody likes doing that. Who likes to give away money? I like getting money. <laughs> that's a lot more fun. <laughs> Okay, but it's the idea of serving. If we will create a church that is full of people who overwhelmingly, when you walk into these campuses, you are thinking, I am here to serve. I'm telling you, this place will explode with growth. People will be drawn to that. But as long as our churches get a little bit too caught up in what can we do to crank your engine? What Bible study can you lead? What department can you be in charge of? What area of service that just tickles your gizzards? Then we will struggle. And I don't want to be that kind of church. I want to be the kind of church where it's not about me, it's about him. When it's not about me, it's about the guy next to me. Or it's not about us, it's about somebody else. It's not about just my family, it's about the other family. It's not just about my kid, it's about the other kid. It all comes when we start to understand what a servant is. A servant is someone who does what he's asked to do. And whether he gets thanks or praise for it is not part of the equation. We need to be servants of God. And in doing so, we'll be the most like God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Easier to talk about than to do. These are challenging things. But help us, oh God, not to be so narcissistic, not to be so focused on self. Help us, Lord, to see what we can do and just do it. And not be looking for self-fulfillment, but look for rather to fulfill the needs of others. Because, Lord, when we start to truly be servants, doing oftentimes what doesn't interest us at all, it's when we're the most like you. Because you did what you didn't want to do. You went to the cross. 
You gave your life a sacrifice and a ransom for all of us. Help us to think more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Bless you. Amen.